Hi, this is Dan Sullivan, and this is the next episode of Exponential Wisdom with Peter Diamandis, the most alert, curious, responsive, and resourceful technology scout on the planet. Wow, I I hope my mom's listening, Dan. (laughs) Yeah, and really what you're bringing to us is knowledge how to do things digitally faster, easier, cheaper, and bigger. It is. It's really, you know, and you've said this so many times, it's as an entrepreneur, how do you partner with the right technology and how do you partner with the right multiplier? And if you can do that, you can take the world by storm, grow faster, have more fun, do it automagically, which is the term I like to use. Without a massive amount of capital and without a massive amount of giving up ownership and without a massive amount of meetings with lawyers. Ah, God, you're singing my tune, dude. Less lawyers (laughs) in the world. Okay. Except lawyers in my program and lawyers in your program. Yes, yes. And they (laughs) are problem solvers, not problem creators. Yeah, special lawyers. So, shall we talk about? Yeah. Yeah. Recently, we had an episode where you just went into some of the most impressive breakthrough entrepreneurs that you've met very, very recently. And my entrepreneurs just love your stories about other entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurial breakthrough stories are catnip for entrepreneurs. <laughs> so there's an entrepreneur I've been spending more and more time with. His name is Bill Gross, not the financial Bill Gross. This is uh, Bill Gross, who's CEO of Idea Lab. And just a beautiful guy, brilliant mind, very creative. And he and I are collaborating on creating new startups. And we're constantly looking for where does the intersection of big problems and new technologies enable innovative, really agile solutions? If you've never heard Bill, he's got a couple of great TED Talks. One of them, by the way, I think is interesting. He started hundreds and hundreds of companies, right? His idea, he says, listen, the most important thing, the hardest thing is finding a great entrepreneur. So he'll come up with an idea and he will source an entrepreneur to be the CEO, but it has to be an entrepreneur, not someone that you, you know, is mm-hmm. checking the boxes. He's got an entrepreneur mindset. A leader, not a manager. Yes, exactly. And he will seed that entrepreneur with a large amount of equity and a quarter million dollars. And then in the Idea Lab Incubator, it'll take off. And he's he built many, many companies that have multi, multi-billion dollar exits. And we know a lot of the names of them. I won't go into it, but he did a study, interestingly enough, where he said, okay, here's 100 companies that succeeded, and here's 100 companies that failed. What was it? What was it that caused these to succeed and these to fail? And he looked at the experience of the entrepreneur. He looked at the amount of capital it had, looked at how big the market was and so forth. And his principal parameter was timing. Mm-hmm. It was when the company was started mm-hmm. and what was going on in the external environment. Because you can be a great entrepreneur, but if you're too early, mm-hmm. it's really tough. And if you do it during a massive downturn, you can just be out of luck. Mm-hmm. And so the example he uses is he said, listen, SpaceX, there have been lots of rocket companies, and Elon's brilliant, but SpaceX came into existence just when two things happened. They were shutting down the space shuttle, Mm -hmm. and they had just had the Commercial Space Act come out that allowed for NASA to buy private launchers. And the timing was just right, right? Mm -hmm. Another example, he says, you know, Airbnb and Uber and Lyft, those were not the first time those ideas had been proposed. Mm -hmm. 
It's just they came out just after 2008 during the recession when people needed extra income. They were willing to drive and lend out their couch. And so it started mm-hmm. catching on. People wanted stuff cheaper and wanted to make mm-hmm. money. Mm-hmm. And so that's great. So I, I was with Bill and I was asking him what he's most excited about these days. And you know, you and I have talked about the energy business and you've rightfully said, Peter, you haven't talked much about the greatest innovation in energy in the United States in the last couple of decades, which is fracking, which has made America energy independent over oil because we have you know, massive supply of natural gas. And that is true. And I've been much more focused on digitizing energy mm-hmm. in the form of renewables, in particular, because there's lots of energy in the world, right? There's geothermal mm-hmm. energy, massive amounts of geothermal energy under the ground. If you can drill down couple of kilometers, the energy difference can drive a thermal engine forever. And there's nuclear energy, much cleaner versions of fission. And much smaller. And much smaller. Uh, yeah. Much clean. Big as a two-car garage now, a small and fail-safe. reactor. And, right. Fail-safe. And fail-safe. Yeah. Different kind of uranium. When they mm-hmm. fail, they don't have a meltdown. When they fail, they actually cannot fail catastrophically. And fusion some of my friends in the fusion business are more investing in that. So there's all these kinds of energies mm-hmm. that are there. And yes, the energy you have right now, and we have an energy distribution system for natural gas. So yes, that makes complete sense. But one of the energy sources for the world that is completely democratized is solar. Mm-hmm. And you've heard me say that we have 8,000 times more energy from the sun than we consume as a species a year. It's just not in a usable form. It's there. Mm -hmm. just not usable. So solar has been rapidly demonetizing. It used to be extraordinarily expensive. So for as a reference metric, coal is five to eight cents per kilowatt hour. Mm -hmm. Okay. Natural gas comes in below that. Solar right now is coming in, the current best price is 1.75 cents per kilowatt hour Mm -hmm. in Brazil. We're seeing anywhere from 1.75 cents to two, two and a half Mm -hmm. cents. And it's getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. The problem has been storage, mm-hmm. right? So one of the innovations that Bill Gross announced just a few months ago, bankrolled by none other than SoftBank, is a company called Energy Vault. And here's the idea. He realized that you know the ways of storing energy in batteries is not anywhere near efficient, like current energy storage in batteries, like eight cents to 10 cents per kilowatt hour. So if you put the cost of producing the solar and storing the solar, it's much more expensive than other sources. So you got to bring that down. Mm -hmm. And the way that we've been storing energy has been pumped water, where you pump water up into a reservoir. And then when you need energy, it comes back down through a generator like Niagara Falls. Mm -hmm. But that's still been way too expensive. And so he came up with an innovation which on the first thoughts is crazy, Mm -hmm. but it's demonstrated and they have gathered $9 billion of orders in the first year. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is actually using, during the day where it's sunny, the sun is used to power a crane that picks up a large mass of material and stores it at a height. It's like imagining picking up a massive Lego brick and stacking it on another Lego brick and then stacking another Lego brick and another Lego brick. And you make this giant tower of Lego bricks that are a ton each. And then when you need energy back, the crane 
picks it up and gravity pulls it back down. And so you think that's a crazy idea. It looks like, but they've built it and it stores energy at under two and a half cents per kilowatt hour. Mm -hmm. And they are, like I said, $9 billion worth of orders. Yes. Amazing. My feeling is that all energy is going to be needed because, first of all, the use of electricity is going to become exponential as... A hundred percent. I mean, totally server agree. farms are proliferating. The more we have, the more we want. Yeah, and, you know, abundance of energy will be used. I mean, uh, it's human aspiration. If you have available energy, aspirations for using that energy increase. I mean, it's part of the abundance formula is human aspiration. Actually, I was reading uh, Gordon Moore, you know, who's famous for Moore's Law, and he doesn't buy into it that it's a law. He says, I'm simply reflecting the speed with which, provided with new capabilities, human aspirations actually multiply. He says, I think Moore's Law is more about human aspiration than it is about technology. He says, it's just that we aspire with the availability of new capabilities. And I have to tell you, energy is a capability that gives rise to enormous aspirations. Yeah, it, it is. Here's another fun one that Bill has. It's a, a company called Heliogen. So it turns out that if you can take water and heat it to 1,500 degrees centigrade, the water spontaneously decomposes into hydrogen and oxygen. Mm -hmm. So what he's been working on in building, and I've seen this, is these super highly accurate mirrors that are made of a single material so that there's no differential expansion of materials and can focus the sun's lights through all of these parabolics on a single spot and raise the temperature of that location to 1,500 degrees. So you take simple water and sunlight and you generate energy. In this case, it's hydrogen, which is a fuel. People think about hydrogen as a source of energy. Hydrogen is not a source of energy. Hydrogen is a storage medium, Mm -hmm. right? So you can store it and transport it and make hydrogen-powered cars or planes Mm -hmm. or whatever you need. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I find that an amazing, again, a free zone frontier because no one else has been thinking about this. And we need oxygen, too. Yeah, oxygen need, is a... Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, oxygen's very, very useful. Yeah. Yeah. That one that I just came across the other day is just a fairly interesting roof unit that if you live in a climate where you have quite wide differentials between daytime temperatures and nighttime temperatures... And this has been known forever that you can actually create electricity out of the differential between heat, you know, just temperatures. And it's a passive unit. It would just sit on your, and it would power something. But, you know, I live in one of those climates where there's a big differential. Even in the summertime, there's a 25, 30 Fahrenheit degree differential between nighttime and daytime. So anyway, but my sense is, you know, there's going to be a proliferation of ideas Somebody told me, he said, you know, every technology is improving, but they're not all improving at the same rate of change. They're not improving. There's massive technological change. And I'll tell you, the ideas that people get are just really, really extraordinary ideas. But we talked about insurance in one of our recent, you know, how the insurance, I've got an agent and he's been with me since 1994. And his name is Garnet Morris, and he comes from small town Saskatchewan. 
And what he noticed was there was an unused resource in the world. And the unused resource in the world was that in the big accounting firms, let's say Deloitte Touche or any of the really big ones, there's a mandatory 62-year retirement age for partners. All partners yep. have to retire by 62. And they walk out the door and they've got 25 or 30 years worth of client relationships that he has a life insurance agent. He said, you know what the biggest cost in my business is customer acquisition. Sure. Okay, and what he says is, why don't you just bring your Rolodex, you know, digital Rolodex over with you, and we'll assess the value of your client relationships, and all you have to do is introduce us. A brilliant free zone approach. Yeah, and he says, whatever you made as your top year, based on the value of your relationships, whatever your best year was in the accounting firm, we'll guarantee you that in the first year. (laughs) That's extraordinary. I love that kind of partnership, right? That's exactly what you teach. Yeah, and the whole point is all he's looking at as an unused resource, what happens to accountants after 62? What happens to them? But it takes someone with high credibility in this profession to be even interesting to these people. And the other thing is that you have banks that are part of the trifecta here. You have a bank, you know, a very trusty, usually it's an accountant, you know, These are all entrepreneurial customers, and it just rolls. You know, he's got a 60-person firm. He's a life insurance agent, and he's got a 60-person firm, and he wanders all over Canada, the U.S., to do these deals. You know, he's just a very, very bright guy from the prairies. He's been in coach since 95, so he's been in coach for 24 years, and every quarter you can just see the progress in developing his model. But it's all digital because all the processing of figures and everything else and that is digital. So, you know, digital is like electricity. You know, I mean, is this going to be the year that you get electricity? It's 1919. (laughs) We have this great look back a century ago, what was big a century ago. And I said, if you had a conference, I mentioned this in introducing you one year because you always give me five minutes out of the three days to actually introduce you. And I'm very thankful for it. But I said, you know, imagine you were here. I think it was 2015, and I said it was a century ago when we're all gathered in a conference, maybe it's in New York or Chicago, and we're just looking at automobiles. We're looking at, you know, the whole infrastructure that's forming on automobiles, and we're looking at electricity, we're looking at phones, we're looking at all sorts of things, moving pictures, we're looking at photography and everything like that. You know the joke about you don't have to outrun the bear, Peter, where two people are walking through the forest, they hear a bear, one of them sits down, puts on his running shoes, and the other one says, what are you doing? You can't outrun a bear. And he says, you know, I don't have to outrun the bear. So, you know, in the technological world, it's not absolute advantage, it's relative advantage. And going back to your your example of Bill Gross, it's timing. You know, when do you do it? I had a client who lives in a state where they just introduced minimum wage. He's in retail, and he said, I'm just going to get killed because, you know, he says, takes all the profits if I have to go in with minimum wage straight across the board. And I said, well, why don't you look at the governor and the legislature of your state as your collaborator who's going to help you kill all your competition? So I said, I want you to go away for a week and come up with eight strategies that you can use minimum wage 
against the entire profession that's going to give you an advantage. And he called back and he said, I've got 13. And I says, good, go to it. <laughs> I said, anything that seems to be a threat, use it as a collaborator to put people between you and the bear. So what is it, Peter? I mean, you've been out there for a lot longer than I've known you, but what is it that people are seeing that other people are not seeing? From your standpoint, I mean, probably you can spot somebody a lot sooner than you could 10 years ago who's really onto something. What are two or three things that you're looking for? I know mindset is the big thing, and we're totally in agreement that it's all mindset, but what else are you looking for? In the entrepreneur who I'm backing? Yeah, yeah, who to interview, what to investigate, what to bring as a speaker to your platform. Let's see, there's two different parts, right? So one is me as the curator of Abundance 360, and I am really focused on, I want someone who's going to help me show our members what is really happening right now, not what's theoretically going to happen. How do you use this technology, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. What happened last year? What's going to be new this year? And what's going to happen next year? And how do you skate to where the puck is going to be? I mean, one of the biggest challenges is, you know, someone hears about something, go, oh, fantastic. And they start implementing it. Well, by the time you implement it, it's probably too late. I remember I tell the story of the founders of Siri, who were friends of mine before they sold it to Apple. When they were inventing Siri, they predicted where the technology was going to be in three years, and they built a system to intercept that technology. So when they came out, it was ahead of anybody else who was just starting to build then. So I'm looking for people who are really practicing and on the cutting edge, but with some stuff that's useful and where that technology enables the entrepreneur enables the team in a way. So it's, there's a utility factor for them. I'm also mm -hmm. looking at people who are doers and they're not just academics. They've actually built companies. They understand. Mm -hmm. One of the things I'm doing this year at A360 is I'm going to be closing with a panel of, of a few of the top tech entrepreneurs who have built multi-billion dollar companies and who have gone from an idea to creating a multi-billion dollar, very real company. Mm -hmm. And I haven't decided who exactly, but like, you know, the founder of YouTube, the founder of Airbnb, the founder of a number of these companies. And like, how did you do this thing, right? Because mm -hmm. you overcame all these massive corporations yes. and you beat them, right? I mean, YouTube, Google Video, YouTube, Google Video shut down their own internal program and bought Chad Hurley's because it was that much further ahead. How did he do that on his credit cards, right? Mm -hmm. What are the mm -hmm. lessons learned? How do you go up against the big players as an entrepreneur? So mm -hmm. I want to bring it all together in our last program. So I'm looking for people who've actually done stuff, who've mm -hmm. built stuff. What was their mindset? What was their strategy? Where were they lucky and where were they smart? Mm -hmm. And look at that. Yeah, well, the thing that I find, and as we've developed Free Zone Frontier more, you know, it's one of the things when, you know, when you go to Harvard Business School for three or four years, you know, whatever the time period is, they'll talk to you about competition and you go to any business school, they'll talk about competition and business books are about competition and the, the daily news on media, whether it's print media or video, it's about competition. I just asked myself in this book right here, The Free Zone Frontier, I said, what if competition is actually the aberration and collaboration is actually the norm? 
What would the world look like if the people who just aren't very, very good at collaboration have to compete? But what if the central ability was just collaboration? And I did a little test with my Free Zone Frontier people because I started calling it the game changer first, and then I checked Google. And after I got to page 48 of game changers, <laughs> I, you know, it was on page 48, it was like game changing your baby's diaper. You know, I mean, I said, you know, if you're going to be unique, you know, don't have a name that everybody's using. And Free Zone Frontier came out of the conversation. But I says, when you daydream how you would like things to be five years from now, 10 years from now, and just kind of close your eyes and daydream and just shout out your answers. So I have a smart board and I just wrote down all the answers. There was like a Venn diagram overlap in the middle and says, I have a business that has no competition. Entrepreneurs really don't like competition. They say they do, but they don't. (laughs) You know what they don't like? They don't like having to think about their competition. They don't like spending a minute of their time thinking about competition. They would like to think about value creation for the customers and growing with their customers. So I accepted this as a reality that I'm looking for someone who's really collaborative-minded, and if they could, they would join you in creating something brand new that has no competition to it. And my feeling is, you know, that wherever the crowd's going, the solution is in the opposite direction, because most of the crowd lives according to a general narrative. They don't live according to a specific narrative. My sense is I'm looking for someone who actually wants to create an entirely new zone of collaboration, but they'd like to be able to develop it for the longest period of time without competition trying to copy them. So my sense is that digital has given us a real break. There's a very famous book. It's called Capitalism, Socialism, and Democracy, and it was written by Schumpeter. Joseph Schumpeter was an Austrian economist, and he's the one who identified entrepreneurism as creative destruction. He said, Mm -hmm. you know, in all entrepreneurism, there's creativity of new forms and new structures that destroys old ones. And this is in the mid-50s. He says, I'm afraid that entrepreneurial instinct is going to be snuffed out by the growth of global bureaucracy and global socialism. And you can see in certain parts of the world, I think the European Union has really gone in the way of socialism. It's very, very hard to innovate in Europe. So my sense is that entrepreneurs will naturally go to the places that allow for there to be creative destruction. They don't protect you know, unworthy entrepreneurs. They don't protect unworthy industries from destruction. I've lived outside of the U.S. for two-thirds of my lifetime, but the one thing that I think the U.S. does better than almost any country in the world is that they don't protect people from failure. They let you get back on your feet real fast. I mean, if you go bankrupt on Monday, you get your first new credit card on Friday in the United States. You know, they, they don't want people out of the game, but the whole essence of having entrepreneurs is not to protect people from failure. If you don't know what failure is, you don't know what success is. If you don't know what losing is, you don't know what winning is. And my sense is, you know, and you tell me that Silicon Valley, which is certainly, you know, the heartbeat of the digital world as a place more than any other place, because everybody else wants to be like Silicon Valley, that basically, Peter, 
if you've had a lot of failures and you've come back, that's like a college degree. You know, you got hit, you failed, and you're back again, and that's worth a college degree. Yeah. We call failures learning yeah. and experience yeah. versus a uh, black mark for life. Let me share with you an example of a great entrepreneur who's thought through and is implementing your free zone frontier approach. His name is Alex Zavarenkov. He's got two PhDs. He's brilliant. He's a friend and one of the companies my venture fund, Bill Capital, is invested in. And he's an AI expert who said the way that we're creating drugs today is insane. It's billions and billions of dollars of testing and, you know, in petri dish and animal models and eventually in humans and so forth. And so Alex has come up with a way to re-engineer drug discovery. So he's created a platform called GentRL, which stands for Generative Adversarial Networks and Generative Reinforcement Learning. And so he identifies with whomever the disease you want to go after. And he uses his AI to actually look at billions of molecules and design molecules and then test these molecules in digitally. And they're called in silico medicine. And he was able to go from a pharmaceutical company identifying a target that they wanted and in 21 days, ideating and producing the molecules. And out of the six molecules that they produced, four worked on the target, right? So we're talking about, you know, massive transformations, right? So another announcement just today was Google announced what they believe is quantum supremacy, which is the first time that a quantum computer can actually be proven to be more powerful than a classical computer. And one of the places that quantum supremacy is going to be used by an entrepreneur like Alex Zevrenkov is being able to design molecules. So we're talking about taking the future of pharmaceuticals, which is a baroque, big, multi-billion dollar mm -hmm. wasted capital business. Monopoly. Monopoly. You know, I talk right. about monopolies. The problem is monopolies that don't want competition. That's the biggest obstacle. And it could be government, it could be corporation, it could be anything. But Alex doesn't want to manufacture drugs and sell drugs. No, so no. he'll bring his... No, he's a simplifier. He'll bring his AI capability and he'll say, okay, which drug company wants to put this out through all of your channels? Which one wants to be a multiplier? Yeah. 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 Amazing. Yeah. And the big thing is, you know, this thing of simplifying and multiplying, I think you have to choose yourself as an entrepreneur. And I think it's, what does your track record say? Have you been a simplifier or multiplier? And I've been a simplifier all my life. I take very complex entrepreneurial thinking. I said, yeah, but actually you're just doing this and this and this. There's nothing else going on. And then I put it out in models, but then it goes out and it spreads, you know, and I've, I'm really into publishing now. I'm a month ago when I noticed that you know, Exponential Wisdom is in one of the top 100 business and marketing. I have three other podcasts in the top 100 in the world right now, okay? And we've gone, we've put our books now, the audio part of our books, on 39,000 Audible platforms. And one of my favorite bookstores is in London, and it's Waterstones right on Piccadilly. It's right up from Piccadilly Circus. And it's five stories, and it's what a bookstore should be. They got sofas, they got three cafes, and everything like that. So we did a Facebook Live introduction of my plan for living to 156 on a Sunday afternoon. And on Tuesday morning, Waterstone had it. Waterstone was featuring it on a new book, 
You know, I thought, oh, that's nice. That's that's really, really great. But, you know, there's 39,000 platforms. That's the multiplier. And there's one great guy in the program who will do that for you. This is his service, taking any audible thing that you have. And it's the audible form of my books that he's putting out there. And then you can buy the book for 99 cents on Kindle because ours are little books. See, a lot of people who are great simplifiers then get in the involvement of being the multiplier and they get killed. They feel they have to. And they get killed, you know. And that's why they try to buy sports franchises because they're bored with the company that they started. If you simplify, (laughs) simplify. Yeah, I have a hedge fund manager. He says, the moment one of my stocks, the guy thinks about buying a sports franchise, he says, I short the stock. He's bored. He, he's after status now. He's not after innovation. So the people who can just play the entrepreneurial game all their life, which I intend to do, you know, it's simplifying. They're great simplifiers or they're great multipliers. And I think you kind of got to choose one or the other. And then the collaboration goes the other way. Your friend Bill Gross is actually a multiplier of a lot of simplifiers. Mm, He is. And yeah, in that regard, he is. And for the companies he focuses on, he's the simplifier and then lets other people multiply it. But he plays both sides. Yeah, I mean, we do both as entrepreneurs, but if left to our own devices, you know, the test for introvert or extrovert, do you know what the test is? No, I don't. If you're given three days on your own, what do you do? I start three companies. (laughs) Extrovert is immediately on the phone and saying, hey, I'm free, let's do this. And an introvert doesn't talk to anyone. I'm an introvert. Three days on my own, I don't talk to anyone, you know. I don't look in the mirror for three days. I don't even talk to myself for three days, you know. Uh, Dan, as always, a pleasure, my friend. But I think multiplier simplifier is really a good analytical tool for talking about startups and talking about, you know, the success Love of it. entrepreneurial companies. Really thoroughly just enjoyed the session today. And we've got the big date in January coming up. So everybody out there, you know, put it on your calendar right now, whether you can make it or not. It's the 19th, the 20th, and 21st of January. And I have to tell you, it's not even a cost. You'll get repaid in the first two hours for anything that we charge, and you'll check with A360.com to actually find out what the deal is. But it's an investment. It's not a cost. Thank you, Dan. And as I say all the time, four of my most important days of the year is every quarter when I come to Toronto to spend the day with you. And uh, again, strategiccoach.com, the 10X program, or the Free Zone Frontier program. 10X is where they want to start. They can't come directly into Free Zone Frontier. You've got to develop Free Zone muscles before you can Ah. go to the Free Zone Frontier. So I love this format, and I'm excited to come next time with my top entrepreneurs who are blowing me away with their simplifications and their partnerships. And yeah, this is fun. Let's do more of this. How they multiply themselves. Yeah. When you got something simple, how do you multiply yourself? And the old-fashioned way of getting a lot of other people involved and staffing up, you don't have to do that this stage. You can get somebody else's capability who already knows how to do what you need to do. And I think that's a great breakthrough. Amazing. Thank you. Take care, pal. See you next time. Thanks, Peter. Thank you, Dan.